guys, back in the late 90s, there was this basketball player in Maryland who was tearing it up as a junior in high school, averaging over 30 points a game. He had amazing court vision, and he was given the name, the nickname, the Jewish Jordan. Well, he had such a unique journey because he wasn't just known for his basketball skills. He was also known for his faith and his observance of his faith. And that ultimately led him to making certain decisions on which college to go to and where to play professionally. And today, he joins the podcast to share his story with myself and all of you. You don't want to miss this episode of the Game Time Guru. What time is it? Game Time Boost! This is the Game Time Guru podcast, where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. What's up, everybody? Welcome out to the Game Time Guru Podcast. We're excited to have you guys with us today as we have another amazing guest on the show. As you guys heard in the introduction, uh, this is a story of faith, a story of of sports, a story of uh, just a huge, unique journey uh, in the basketball space with a man who they once called the Jewish Jordan. His name is Tamir Goodman, and uh, we're excited to have him on the show to, to talk about his journey with us today. Tamir, thanks so much for joining the show. Uh, thank you so much for thinking of me. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. So what's what's interesting to me is I always actually, it's funny because uh, three and a half, four years ago, I started this show where I would interview sports figures from all over the globe talking about their stories and seeing their their story behind the athlete themselves, right? And I always called myself the Players Tribune before the Players Tribune really took off. Well, that it's funny because the Players Tribune is actually where I saw your, your full story um, a few years back. I'm like, man, because... Back in the late 90s, I was just a, a young gun. I was probably about 11 or 12 years old when your, your story first published on Sports Illustrated. And I became so infatuated with the story when I was like in middle school, high school, because I came across it when I was in middle school, high school age. And then I saw it again a couple of years ago with the little mini documentary they put on you. And I'm like, man, this is he's got quite a story. So I'm just I'm just grateful that you're on the show. And I want to kind of start the podcast off with the same question I ask everybody for the sport that you play, which is basketball. What would you say is the biggest lesson you learned through basketball, what's the biggest lesson that basketball taught you in your life? Uh, there's so many, but if I would say one, I would say um, being resilient because you miss a lot of shots and <laughs> you're going to, you know, meaning you fail a lot over and 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 over again. But you, you got to find a way to keep on shooting and, and keep on playing. And I think basketball gives you the blessing of resilience among many other things, but that's the first thing that will come to my mind. I love that. Okay. That's, that's awesome to hear, man. And we'll get to know that a little bit more through your story. Now, growing up in the United States, um, here's where it gets interesting, man. I, I, I just find it so awesome. Um, you're a stud athlete, you know, uh, one of those, you, you were ranked in the top 25 of athletes go, especially your junior year in high school, uh, top 25 player in the United States playing basketball. And you are very, very strict in your faith. And it's awesome because at that time, it was like it's one of those things where it wasn't people weren't used to seeing that. 
and you stood you stood steadfast in your faith. And I wanted to talk about that a little bit more for those who might not have been around during that time, and especially myself, who I was a little bit younger. Let's talk about what that was like going through high school uh, during your days, getting up to your junior year when you were, you know, you're playing basketball, but you're still sticking strong to your faith. What was that like back then playing ball and uh, making sure that you stood, you know, steadfast in your faith? Well, so for thousands of years, the Jewish people have been um, observing the Sabbath, which means um, from sundown Friday until sundown Saturday, we don't work. Um, we focus on our soul. So like the whole week, we're focused on like running around, making money, the phone, the internet, you know, but uh, over the weekend, we just think about our purpose in life. We think about family. Um, we think about God and we pray. And so we don't, you know, we don't answer the phone. We don't turn on the TV. We don't do anything electric. We don't work. Um, so when I was growing up, my grandmother's a Holocaust survivor. Uh, she survived the camps. She just passed away last year and she lived with us six months out of the year. So I grew up in a home with a Holocaust survivor and uh, the Holocaust survivors that made it to America after the war, um, they came to America and not everybody in America didn't really know much about Jewish people yet. And, and they would tell the Jewish people like they were barely alive. They, you know, they, they, they somehow survived the war. They were really skinny. They had no money. They had nothing, but they were trying to reestablish their lives. And, um, you know, a lot of the people that were giving them jobs would tell them, look, you know, you got to work on Saturday. And these Holocaust survivors, you know, this is the way that I grew up, even though they had nothing but faith, really, they'd work all week, you know, from Sunday through Friday, they'd quit on Friday, um, just so they wouldn't have to work on Saturday, and they'd try to find a new job on Sunday, just to observe the Sabbath. Um, they say Jewish people wouldn't be around anymore if it wasn't for the Sabbath. All the persecution that the Jewish people went through over the thousands of years in all the countries that we were kicked out of. Um, Sabbath is what kept the Jewish people together. So I grew up on those stories. I grew up loving the Sabbath. And um, I was blessed to be, you know, be able to play the game that I loved and be ranked the 25th best player in the country. But that was all part of who I was. You know, I didn't differentiate between basketball and my upbringing. It was one thing for me. So um, when the time came and, and, and uh, colleges were starting to recruit me, I made it very clear that I'd love to play college basketball. It's my dream, but I can only do it uh, with a team that would help accommodate me so that I would not have to play on the Sabbath. I, the, the reason I find this story so amazing, Tamir, you're such a good, like, a good human being and such an inspiration to me, is while I'm not Jewish, I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now, we're commonly known as Mormons, right? And so... We, we truly believe in, in keeping the Sabbath day holy as, um, and, and trying to do that. And there's been many times where my beliefs have been uh, questioned by other individuals, especially in the sports world and so forth. And I see professional athletes all the time like, hey, are they going to play uh, on, on the Sabbath and, and so forth? And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's easier said than done to actually observe that and stand true to what you you believe and what i uh, i noticed from you is it's just so awesome that you actually you know you have all the spotlight on you at such a young age and you stood there like you you had the example from your your grandmother like you just mentioned obviously your beliefs and everything and and you you know you stayed true to who you were which is super important i think for us to know 
and, and remember today. Um, athletes, coaches, parents of athletes these days, remember that. Remember who you are. Um, don't let, you know, the sport is something that you can, you know, it's a vehicle, but remember who you are. And I think that's awesome that you did that. Now, I want to hear about like, you know, back then we didn't have social media. But uh, the 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 press started to kind of you know you were you were given the name the Jewish Jordan junior year in high school you're starting to become pretty pretty you know popular at that point. Talk about the pressures that were on you. Like, did you feel an additional set of pressure because looking at your story, it sounded like okay, wow, like all of a sudden spotlights on you. What was that like back then? Even though we didn't have social media. Yeah, even though we didn't have social media back then. The media was still very, very powerful. And in some ways, uh, I would say even more powerful than today in that if you read an article, you really took it to heart or it really like penetrated your mind because you got to delve on it and sleep on it and think about it. And like, let's say you got Sports Illustrated, so it was like once a week or something like that. Today, we're bombarded with so many articles. We might read like, I don't know, 50, 60 articles a day. So like it touches you, it touches your heart, it inspires you, but you're already on to the next article, right? Right. I, I use the example of like young players uh, today when, when thinking about different moves. Like when we were younger, like for example, Michael Jordan lived in my heart and in my mind because when I saw him do a move, I'd have to like picture it and then go out to the backyard or the park and, and work on it because you only got to see it once. Maybe you could see it again on Sports Illustrated on, on uh, Sports Center the next morning. You had to watch all 30 minutes of Sports Center for like a little <laughs> clip. So you know you what did I see? You know so you have to you know put it in your brain, put it in your mind, and really work at it. And 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 it, it, you internalized it. Whereas the kids nowadays they could watch. Kyrie move it, Kyrie Irving move, uh, move like a million times. They could just go to YouTube or whatever it is and just watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it. So their moves are like they, they have a bigger repertoire of moves. But um, I don't think like the move might not affect them as much as like it does nowadays because we're just so bombarded with so many different things that it's it's hard to find something that could really penetrate your mind and your soul. So there wasn't social media back then, but it was still very powerful. There was one week where I had 700 media requests in one week, and um, it definitely was overwhelming. But um, I tried my best to to use it as a tool to inspire other people. And a lot of people thought and you know, said, "Tamir, you know, you're never going to be able to play in college. You're never going to be able to play professionally because realistically, all every team in America at the college and professional level, like they all play on the Sabbath." And, um, you know, you're trying to basically do something that's impossible. And what I tried to do when I got the media um, attention was try to, like, inspire other people that whatever, whatever was going on in their life, they told them it was impossible, whether they had a learning disability or something. Uh, I don't like to say religion because I don't feel like religion takes you away from your dreams. I think religion helps you reach your dreams, but a more happy and meaningful way. But whatever someone might be going through in their life that might put them at a disadvantage, I wanted them to see my story and say, hey, maybe I could apply this to my life. So that was very helpful to me because um, it took the tension off of me. It wasn't about me. It was about something bigger than myself. And that kind of helped me get through the ups and downs a little more. That's super cool, man. That's super cool. Cause yeah, it's just, it's just crazy. And I love how you touched base there, Tamir on the, uh, the whole vision side of things like, um, 
how it touched your soul more back then because you, it's true if, if i'm thinking about it right now it's true you mentioned Kyrie Irving you can just look at clips all day long on twitter and whatever social feeds you've got and you can just go and just like the differences today compared to back then i do want to touch base on this too because when you were playing for the listeners out here um the the highlights that we are able to see of your your days especially your junior in high school when the when the pop really went off you know it's just like you're scoring over 30 points a game and you look like a modern day pistol Pete with your vision on the court. And the story is that you actually uh, were battling with dyslexia, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm, I would love to touch base on that. If you don't mind, like kind of, you know, I guess resilience when you went back to saying, you know, basketball has taught you resilience. I mean, you've kind of done that your whole life. Like you've shown people like you can adjust around certain things. And I'm curious for someone like yourself, there's probably basketball players out there right now. They're listening to this show. Um, the athletes and the coaches alike. How did you do that? I want to know, just like, is there any tips and tricks you might have for them? Cause they might be looking at it like, okay, Tamir was able to do it. Now I can do it. Not only just from the religious standpoint, but like battling dyslexia and just being able to, to see things on a court and, and being able to, to compete at such a high level, even though you were battling something like that. Correct. Like, um, I'm very, 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 very dyslexic. Like I pride myself on being very precise and very on time. But even today, the reason that I was late to the interview with you is because I completely miscalculated the numbers. Like I had to add seven hours because I'm here in Israel. And in my mind, 1 million percent, we were starting at three o'clock today. And I just couldn't realize that it was really two o'clock. Like that's, it's, it's unbelievable, you know? Um, so. The doctor told me that like i'm very very dyslexic and he's not you know there's there's no way around it you know <laughs> very very dyslexic but he said that i'm going to be able to see things on the court that other people don't see so i decided to like that's going to be my confidence like i'm not going to like say i'm not going to make myself a victim and feel bad for myself because i'm dyslexic i'm going to use it as 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 a confidence to say hey my brain just works in a unique way you know i could see things on the court that other people can't see and maybe i could help my teammates get the ball where they need to get it when they need to get it in a way that other players can't pass it to them so that kind of gave me confidence i didn't see it as a negative i saw it as a positive but then on the other hand like when it came to classwork like i knew i had to work double as hard i knew i knew it and um i had to get special tutors i'd run basketball clinics to raise money so that i could pay for my sat tutors finally passed the sats um, and then when I got to college, I was on the dean's list. But it wasn't because I was smart or anything. It was just because I knew that I had to work double as hard in the classroom because of how bad I, I, I you know, how bad, I, how dyslexic I am. Man, that's what I'm talking about. The the inspiration for me. I just, I, I'm like, I'm kind of like a kid in a candy store right now. Like I'm, I'm geeking out because you're one of these guys. Like I said, I've been following you for a while. I know it sounds weird, but I'm like this kid from Idaho. 32 year old from Idaho that's kind of been following your story and you're probably like, oh, that's odd. But no, like just hearing it from you right now too, is just, it's super inspiring to me uh, because you're, sh you're showing everyone that you focused on your strengths, not your weaknesses. You found a way to utilize these as strengths, not weaknesses. And it's super, super cool. Now, Tamir, when you get the decision, like back then, you know, you, you've had this, the, the whole story was, you know, the university of Maryland was looking at you. Back then, their program was pretty dominant in the basketball world. Like, it's a pretty big program. Yeah, it's a pretty prestigious university for, for basketball specifically. And, you know, they were looking at you. There was a commitment. But due to the, you know, the inability to, you know, basically uh, observe the Sabbath um, on their games and so forth, that, that's what the story was. You ended up going to, to a different university. Can you talk to us about 
the decision and how that impacted your life? And do you feel like it was it was the right decision for you going over to Towson uh, compared to, to Maryland when you had originally committed? Yeah, I have nothing against the University of Maryland. I'm still very, very close with many of the people on that team, many of the players and the staff. I was already working out there, playing there, and things were going really well. But um, just before, I guess, the season was going to start, um, we just had a meeting with the coaching staff and realized that it, it just wasn't going to work out. It just wasn't going to work out um, based on how they saw things moving forward and how they projected me as a player and everything with the Sabbath. So I just said to the coaches, thank you for the opportunity. I love the team. I've always followed you. I'll always continue to follow you because I grew up in Maryland, but um, I'm just not going to play here. And um, I'm very grateful that Towson University was able to adjust the schedule for me and uh, I was able to play at Towson. Now, if I would have stayed at Maryland, I would have had a national championship ring. And people tell me all the time, they're like, hey, you know, if you just would have played at Maryland, you would have had a championship ring. And, I, you know, congratulations. They won the championship that year. But really, every year there's a new champion. You know, it's not uh, something that lasts forever. It's like every year there's going to be a new champion. And I was focused on a blessing that is forever. And that's the blessing of Sabbath. You know, Sabbath, Jewish people have been ser- uh, observing the Sabbath for thousands of years, and they're always going to. Same exact way Moses observed the Sabbath is the same exact way I do it with my kids and my kids are going to do it with their kids. And, you know, it's just a eternal blessing. And I, I that to me was um, what I wanted to focus on more than just uh, a championship that would last for one season. Um, and I'm grateful for that. But I'm, I'm even more grateful that even though this this whole challenge and everything we went through and everything in the media um, I'm very big on relationships. Like I said, I'm very happy that I'm still in touch with the players on that team and the coaching staff on that team. And to me, that's, you know, uh, basketball, the greatest thing about basketball is that it, it brings people together of all different backgrounds and um, even sometimes through challenging situations. But at the end of the day, it's those relationships that are really magical. And I'm glad that I'm able to still be in touch with those guys and be on good terms. Absolutely, man. I think that's awesome. That's that's super cool. Uh, just hearing the whole thing. I mean, and, and I I really like how you put that into the perspective of like the Sabbath is going to be. It's it's been happening for thousands of years. It's going to continue to happen where you can observe the Sabbath because it's literally every week. Uh, cha- new champion happens every single year. Like just having that perspective probably helps you a lot in life and not just in basketball, but just outside of life. It's like putting things into perspective, and I and and I and I think that's super important. You know, so Tamir, you go to to. To Towson, um, and when I was watching and, and studying up on the season, it seemed like things were starting to, to kind of come together. There was a change in coaching staff, and one thing led to another. Where essentially you ended up leaving, um, and, and and your collegiate career ended, which then propelled you to the next level, where you still could play at the next level, but you ended up playing in Israel. Talk to us about your decision. Did you always have this idea of maybe you could play over in Israel where you could observe, you know, the Sabbath and you could, you could kind of follow the, the, the religious backing, or did you have like a career, like, or sorry, a thought in your mind that you might be playing in the NBA. I just want to kind of know that, that mindset back then, obviously now it's different, but like right. back then, what was your thought process? Yeah. My thought process is still the same. I just try to win every day and, and have faith and trust in God that where I'm supposed to end up, that's where I'll end up. But I did know that I had a lot of family in Israel and um, that 
after everything that happened to me at Towson, I felt like Israel was going to be a, a great, safe and healthy environment for me to continue my basketball journey. And coach David Blatt, who coached the Cleveland Cavaliers a couple of years ago, he was uh, the coach that brought me over here. Um, and I'm forever grateful to him for that opportunity because I got to play professionally for seven years. I met my wife here. We now have five kids and I'm raising the kids here in Jerusalem. And I'm so, so grateful and appreciative of that. So it worked that's, out really well. That's so cool, man. Going over to Israel, David Blatt dropping a name there. I'm curious too, like as you're, you go over to Israel, a lot of people want to know this, especially people here where I live, they want that, that listen to the show. They want to know a little bit more about the basketball in Israel compared to the United States. What would you say there? Like, I mean, I always tell people time here, I'm like, listen, there are so many athletes in, in, in the world for basketball. And, and sometimes people look at it like, oh, they didn't make the NBA. They're trash. No. And I'm like, no, that's not the case at all. Trust me. I know people who play overseas and they are far superior to the majority of basketball players. Like there's a lot of good talent, but I want to know like from your, your percent, what was the differences? What were the differences in uh, playing in Israel professionally compared to like maybe even playing in college over here? Did you notice any differences? What was the competition like? Right. So, I mean, right now the competition is at an all time high. There's two Israelis that are entering the draft right now. Danny Avdia, they say he's going to be a top five pick. And Yamadar, that he's an extremely talented point guard. Um, and those are just like the Israelis. So you think of Israel, it's the size of New Jersey. The entire country is the size of New Jersey. But it's a very sought after destination um, for Americans to come over here and play because almost everybody speaks English. The weather is beautiful. Um, you could get from city to city very easily. So like if you play for Jerusalem in 25, 30 minutes, you could be in Tel Aviv. So you, there's all, you know, so basically every team is made up of like six or seven Israelis and the rest are like American players or European players. And the American players are either players that played in the NBA and are at the end of their career and just want to continue playing or they're young players that are trying to get to the NBA. So that's kind of the competition level. And I, I want to say it's very impressive that for such a small country, there's just so much overlap with the NBA of guys that are going over to the NBA, guys that played in the NBA that are coming over here. But I could say that um, almost every player that I've ever spoken to has absolutely loved playing in Israel. And many of them stay here even after their career and just live here. And it's just an amazing country. And um, I feel blessed that I was able to establish those relationships because you know, I did grow up in America. I love America, but I speak Hebrew fluently and I was able to kind of be the bridge between um, both cultures while I was an athlete. So that was pretty cool. And still very, very much in touch with the, the guys that I played with over the years here. That's super cool. I was going to ask you that. The That's awesome that you can speak Hebrew fluently. I think that's actually really, really cool. Um, and do you feel like the Americans are well, you know, received, I should say, well, well welcomed in Israel when they come to play? Because I hear stories from a lot of people that have played overseas in different countries where depending on where they play, sometimes they're not looked like the, the other athletes, like the locals don't like them or they at least have a competitive nature or feeling towards them. How do you feel that's been? I mean, I guess when you got there compared to now, do you feel like everybody's pretty well welcomed, I should say? Yeah, the basketball league here is a blast. Um, I believe it was the first league to come back from COVID and finish out the season without any issues, which shows us that it's a very well organized league. Uh, the, the guys came back quicker than anywhere else. In other words, all the American players came back to Israel before the bubble, before any anything else. You know, they were committed to the league here and they finished out the season before everybody else without any issues. So. I think that speaks really loudly about how 
how well the league is run and how well respected the players are that come over here. Um, there's like an old Jewish teaching that like you always treat your guests better than you treat yourself. Like if a guest is sleeping over your house, you 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 have to give them a better pillow or a better blanket or a better mattress or whatever it is. Like that's kind of the way it is here as well. Like when the American players come over, the or the organization, the team, the owners, they're going to do everything. Um, to make the American players feel as comfortable as possible here. And from what I see, the players have an absolute blast here. That's amazing, man. I think it's awesome. That's so cool. So tell me, Tamir, when you were in college, I want to, I want to know two questions in the United States, who was the best player you played with or against? So just the best player you had played with or against. And then in Israel, the best player you played with or against. Okay. So in Israel, it would be Anthony Parker. I don't know if you remember him. He played for the Raptors and the Cavaliers. So he played in Israel. Um, the number 18 in in Hebrew represents Chai, life. It's like a sacred number in Judaism. So even though he wasn't Jewish, he had such a good time playing in Israel that when he went to play in the NBA, he wore 18 to represent Israel and Jewish people. That kind of goes back to the question that we just spoke about, what it's like for them to play here. Um, and I want to say the best player that I probably played against in America was a player named Speedy Claxton. Um, before he got hurt, um, he was unbelievable. And unfortunately he tore his ACL when he, I, I think right when he signed with the 76ers and no one in the NBA really got to see how talented he really was. Ah, super unfortunate with the injuries happen like that, but that's super cool that you, you know, you're giving the shout out to him too, because I think a lot of players have had that happen to them. You know, they have an injury, untimely injury that, uh, kind of setbacks sets back their career so to speak that's super cool hearing those two names that's awesome man now tamir you're over in israel you, you said you played seven years professionally over there um battling at the end of it from what i understand you battled with some injuries um can you talk about what it was like i mean you said you you've basketball's taught you resilience and some people would say well why didn't you just you know battle back from the injuries and the surgeries and continue to play but can you talk to us about that like that doesn't necessarily mean you have to fight through the injuries to keep trying to play because you still stuck with basketball. So when you went through your injuries at the end of your career, how did you, you know, feel and, and how did you make that decision to ultimately, okay, say, Hey, the playing days are over, but I'm going to continue on moving forward. What was that like at that point? And how did you, you know, show your resilience there? Right. So when you live in Israel, like in your Israeli citizen, you, you have to serve in the army. Everybody, every single person has to serve in the army, women, men and women. And when I came over here, um, I was trying to balance playing professional basketball and also serving in the army. Um, and I specialize in uh, APC, like an armored personnel carrier, small, small little tanks. And just the culmination of, of the, being in the army and playing professionally, my knee just was so badly messed up, but I never quit. I never, I, I never quit. I was surgery to surgery to surgery surgery until 2009. And by 2009, I literally, even till today, I'm in pain basically the entire day, night, day, everything. So I knew that God didn't want me to play anymore. It was absolutely impossible. It wasn't something that like, I could um, fight through anymore. I, it, by the time my last surgery was over, the doctor's like, look, you never want to see me again, which means like, there's like, if you come back here with another injury, you're just, there's going to be nothing anybody could do. So um, I felt at peace because I know I never quit, if that makes sense. I, ju I just kept on going until I finally couldn't play the game anymore. So 
um, that, that, that gave me like comfort in my heart that I never quit early. And I played till the absolute uh, last day that I could play, left it out on the floor, as they say. <laughs> absolutely, man. Absolutely. But I, but I always loved the game. And, you know, like my wife says, she's like, you're still doing the same thing. You're just wearing a different uniform. I try to do good things through basketball while I was playing. I still just try to do good things through the game, even though I can't play anymore. I love it, man. I love it. And talk to us about what you got going on with your camps and, and how you are indeed um, sticking with the game of basketball with just a quote unquote different jersey on. Yeah. So I basically have a sports consulting business out here in Israel. Uh, we have camps, clinics, speaking engagements, product development. Um, there's a lot of tech that comes out of Israel, sports tech. So I'm a consultant. I myself invented a product that is now being used in the NBA. And um, I uh, called Zone 190. And I, um, I also work in the front office for Uphold Jerusalem, which is uh, one of the best teams in Israel. I would say we... We've had a really nice run here the last six or seven years. Amari Stoudemire played for us the last uh, three out of four years. So it's been very exciting. Um, feel very, very blessed that I get to live in Jerusalem with my wife and five kids and be involved in basketball, do a lot of charity initiatives, a lot of work with special needs kids, a lot of work with bringing cultures together through basketball at my camp in the summer. And at the end of the day, I'm walking distance from the Holy Wall. So it's just... It's, a, it's an unbelievable thing that I could just walk over there whenever I want. It, it's I'll, I'll never, ever take it for granted, you know, to to be able to go to that wall and pray. It's like you bring your soul right back to the creator. Literally, if you want to go on a Tuesday night, just walk over there or Monday morning, whatever it is. And I just feel so blessed that I get to do that and my kids could do it as well, you know. <laughs> so cool, man. Do you guys ever see, like, I, I should just ask, do you ever see, yourself coming back to to the united states to live or do you feel like you've got yourself a home there with your family because that's basically where they're all from and and what they're used to yeah we're gonna live here forever god willing i wouldn't want to live anywhere else in the world however i do miss america to visit um, my a lot of my family still in maryland and also the jewish people in general have a, a huge amount of um gratitude to america like we all grew up learning to thank America because we weren't persecuted in America. We were allowed to be religiously observant in America. And so we're, we're always going to love America, uh, even, even when we live here. Um, but uh, this is our home and, um, you know, I feel blessed to live here, but at the same time, we'll always be grateful to America. And I was able to live out my dream as an observant Jew playing division one basketball and scholarship in America. I'm not going to forget that. I'm not going to forget my teammates or, or, um, you know, coaching staff that made that happen for me. Totally, man. That's so awesome. I think it's super, super <laughs> cool. So, Tom, Mary, one, one last thing. Well, if, if there's anything that you would share with the younger generation of athletes coming up right now, based on your experience, uh, whether it be resilience or whatever, I mean, you've had a unique journey. Obviously, we got to hear that. Not everyone's journey is the same, but you've had a unique journey, and it sounds like it was exactly what it was supposed to be. Um, it, as weird or strange as people might think it was, it was exactly what it was probably supposed to be for your life. Um, but what would you share with those athletes coming up, uh, the younger generation? What's one thing that you would share with them as a, as a word of wisdom from what you have uh, learned in your journey? Yeah, I would, I would tell every single human being in this world to realize how special they are. Like, no two people have the same uh, thumbprint. You know what I mean? Every single person in the world has a different print, a different build. You know, God is... 
investing like 60, I think they say 60 to 90 trillion cells in our body every single second. So that should give us the confidence that like we're here for a mission, we're here for a purpose, we're really unique, we're really special. And we, each person can bring their blessings to this world in a way that nobody else can in their own unique way. And I think that gives everyone a healthy self-confidence that no matter what they're doing in this world, whether it's basketball, baseball, soccer, writing, art, music, whatever it is, they should be proud of who they are and know that they have a unique input. And this whole world is one puzzle. And if one person doesn't fulfill their mission in this world, then the puzzle, the world's incomplete. The puzzle's incomplete. The world just is not going to reach its potential. So I think that we should be proud of who we are, um, reach our goals and go after our dreams and our aspirations and try to figure out a way how we could help other people along that journey. And by doing that, the, the puzzle of this world will ultimately come become complete and we'll hopefully be blessed with peace and serenity for everybody. I love it, man. I appreciate the the words. And ladies and gentlemen, again, this is Tamir Goodman. He was known as the Jewish Jordan back in the late 90s. Amazing, amazing story. Someone who stood true to who he was, inspired millions of people, and he's still doing his thing over overseas in Jerusalem right now, inspiring tons and tons of people and living his dream. And I just love to see it. So Tamir, once again, we just want to say thank you for joining the Game Time Guru podcast. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.